0: Well, one of the most frustrating things in life, uh, you'll come to find out if you haven't already, is to find yourself in a situation where growth is supposed to happen, but it doesn't happen. Say uh, you're a little bit older, you're one of our salt and pepper attendees, uh, you remember the ups and downs of the financial market and you put money into that account, that retirement account, and it didn't grow like you were expecting it to grow. Uh, if you're a younger person or an older person, it doesn't matter uh, physically. Sometimes you set goals for your health, but you hit a plateau as you're trying to grow and you don't actually get to where you want to go physically. Growth is hard. Or sometimes you set goals for your career, but it's hard to grow and progress in your career. There's nothing more frustrating than setting goals and trying to grow in your life. And it doesn't happen. And in all of life, we find that for anything or anyone to grow, there needs to be the right environment in order to do that. The environment for growth. What am I talking about here? Well, what does a plant need to grow? Well, don't ask my family because we have the black thumb of death. And any plant that's given to us will surely die within moments of receiving it. And in fact, the plant, when it's received, when it's handed to us, it immediately goes, this is going to be painful. (laughs) And it shrivels up and it dies on the vine. We don't know what it takes to grow a plant. But what does it take to grow a plant? Say you buy something. We're actually thinking about getting a lemon tree and putting it right outside our door. What will it take? Well, it's going to take a little bit of sunshine and it's going to take some <laughs> it's going to take some water uh, and something in there called photosynthesis. Is that a thing? And it's going to take like soil and roots and it's going to take nutrients. It, there's, it requires a certain kind of temperature in order for that lemon tree to grow. Uh, and that is what is required to grow a plant. And it's the same way for a person to grow a person needs the right kind of environment. If you hang around people that eat really bad food and don't work out, it's going to be hard for you to like figure out how to work out. If you are from a country that where there's a lot of corruption, for instance, it's very hard to start a business or get the electric turned on or get your water turned on. There's so much corruption in certain environments, it's really hard for business to grow and to thrive Uh, Just anything, any example you want to think of, a person needs the right environment, the right water, so to speak, the right sunshine in order to grow in that area of their life. Now, just as there is an environment for a person to grow physically or emotionally, there's also an environment that's required for people to grow spiritually. People need to grow spiritually, and many people today focus on what? They focus on do it yourself spirituality. You take a little bit from here, you take a little bit from there, you go do the yoga class and you get in touch with the universe on your own, or you go to the soul cycle class where you open your arms to the universe and the instructor is so smart and so fit that you just feel like you should just listen to that person. And they say, you get from the universe what you put back into it. So it's basically a karma thing. Uh, And people on there, they, they go to these classes, they work out, or they try to be loving, they try to be tolerant, they try to be kind to the poor. And the problem, even though these things are good, the problem with this kind of spirituality is that it's a lot like decorating a Christmas tree. When you get a Christmas tree, a live one, not a fake one, because the analogy won't work if you think of a fake one. Think of a real Christmas tree that gets chopped down and you go pick it out. You put it in your house and you decorate it. No matter how much you decorate it, how much you put lights on it and tinsel, or if your spouse is the one that does the decorating, they set it up. They're just like, don't mess this up. Just put these things here. No matter how much you decorate it, no matter how much you water it, it will still die. It will still lose needles because it's not connected or rooted into anything. And that is the same thing with do-it-yourself spirituality. It doesn't work. Spiritual vitality cannot happen because it isn't rooted in a community of faith, a community of faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, we're starting a brand new series today. It's called Walking with Jesus. It's through the month of July. And what we believe is that each of us needs to learn how to hear from God and walk with Jesus. Jesus wants a real relationship with us. And so the metaphor of walking with Jesus means that we're living life with Jesus, not as somebody we go to for special treats and money on Sunday, but it's somebody we can have a relationship with that will improve the quality of our lives and we can live our best lives as we connect with him and we can be involved in what he's doing in the world, joining him in his work. That comes from a warm relationship called, you know, what we, what we call walking with Jesus. And so what we're going to talk about today is something that's really important. Having a community, a Christian community, is essential for walking with Jesus. It is essential for spiritual life. The Christian life wasn't meant to be lived alone. The Christian life is a shared journey that we share together and we grow together. We cannot grow alone. We need each other. It is important to be in relationship with one another as we come and get to know the person of Jesus. And so if you want to have the right kind of relationship with God, where you walk with him, you need to figure out this thing called community. So I've called today's talk. You need a healthy community. Why don't we pray? I'm going to invite God's presence and let's get started. How's that? Uh, God, we welcome you here. We've been praying that and inviting you, and so we just invite you to come to that, they, even right now, God. They're like, I wrote some words down, and we've got a plan, and we have some slides. Uh, but we want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us. God, I ask that you would help me to speak as I should. Help me to know what to say about community, and God, I ask that you would show us your heart for community. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to be taking a look at a book called Galatians. Now, you can follow along on the screen, or if you have a phone, you can open up your Bible app and do that. We're going to be looking at Galatians 6. And what we see is that Paul, the guy that wrote this, is highlighting some of the issues that the Galatians were facing. And he's saying, look, the reason you're not growing in your walk with God it's because you don't really understand how community works. So let me lay out some hard truths to you. And this is what he says in Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ." If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they, will, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So what is the specific context for growth? What is the context for growth? Well, the specific context in which the disciples of Jesus are developed is through community. What is community? It is the context by which we get to know Jesus. We are made in the image of God. We are made to look like God and sort of become almost like God. And we're made in God's image as a relational being. And even when we look at God, we see that God is relational. We see that God is a part of a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that trinity, there's an even a social communal aspect to that that we as human beings are made in that image. We are made to be in community and humans cannot grow spiritually. If they are not in relationship with other humans, because we have the divine stamp on us, it's just the way we were designed to be. We need each other and you cannot fulfill and I cannot fulfill our greatest potential as God intended it without a community, because that's simply the way that God designed it. Now, in Galatians 6-2, there's this little phrase that's really interesting, and it it explains the indispensable nature uh, of the Christian community. Uh, Look at it in verse 2. it It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And literally, the text reads this, and I think I have it on the screen. It says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this phrase, one another, it's actually, uh, uh, in the Greek word, it's this. It's aleleon. allelon, allelon. Yeah. allelon, And that's the Greek word, which means one another. And one another is getting at something super interesting and super radical. The Bible here tells us to do something really radical. We're told to forgive one another. We're told to serve one another. We're told to speak to one another when we need to speak to them. We're ta- told to teach. And admonish one another. Here's the deal. You cannot obey by yourself. You cannot offer hospitality to one another by yourself. You cannot serve one another by yourself. It's impossible to do these things by yourself. Bottom line, it's impossible for you to grow as a Christian unless you're rooted in a Christian community where you can practice these things with one another. It's essential for you to be connected to other people and thus fulfill what God is saying here. And if you are trying to do one another by yourself, it looks really weird. You don't look like a normal person. You need other people to do the one another stuff. This is why we always say at Pack City Church, you should join one of our community groups. Right now we have three and by the fall we'll have six. And these community groups are designed for you to do life with one another. It's designed to help you get to know other people and for them to get to know you and for them to say good things about you, but then also to challenge you. Community groups are an excellent way for you to live out this truth and this call from God, which is to do it together with one another. So if all I mentioned here is the, uh, the context for growth, what is the focus of growth? What is the focus of growth? Well, look again with me in Galatians six one What does it say? It says, "Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also or you also may be tempted. Now, the word "brothers and sisters is really fundamental here it 's really important, and I want you, if you have something in your uh, pen and you want to draw on your Bible or highlight it on your phone, do it, Brothers and sisters. Because it's really communicating something really important here. The church is designed to be an extended family of brothers and sisters. We are supposed to create relationship with one another. And there's supposed to be a level of interdependence with one another. The church is extended family. What is Pacific City Church? I'll tell you what it's not. We are not a religious country club. We are not a philosophical society. We are not an academic institution. We are not a business. The church is extended family. And this phrase, brothers and sisters, tells us that the focus of our Christian attention when it comes to sin is not sin out there in the world, but it is sin in the church. It is the sin we happen to see in our brothers and our sisters. And wow. Let me just pause here. If we as the American church could just pause, if we could just get this thing down, it would be pretty incredible. If we would simply admit that you and I have very little ability to fix the morals of the entire world. What if Christians spent virtually no time talking about the morals and the behaviors of people who are outside this room? And instead, we took 99% of our time and energy and we focused it on the behavioral change to deal with the issues that each of us are dealing with inside this room. And I tell you what, the church's witness would definitely improve in the outside arena if we were better with how we work with each other in this area. I think the Christians need to change their focus. Too much Christian energy is spent on the latest outrage in Hollywood. And the latest thing we're we're too angry and we're too upset about the latest thing that's happening in Washington, D.C. But what you need to see here is that Paul's primary focus when he's talking about sin isn't about the sin that's going on in the larger Roman society. He's talking about what's happening in the church and what's happening in the extended family and the quality of life that they were living. Our focus in the 21st century As Christians, when it comes to sin, is that we should not be focused on the immorality that we see in the larger culture, or the media, or online, or the person that posts a thing that super offends you. Jesus intended the church to be an alternative society, a city on a hill, a light in a dark world, salt of the earth. And we get to do that. We get to have more hope in our relationship with God and more hope for each other. And more people outside can have hope in the world if they see us able to deal with the issues that we face. But we do not have the ability to be in control or control the sin of others, what we need to do is figure out how to pay attention to what's going on in this room. Do you realize that, that you do not have pressure on you from this church or from Paul in this writing to go out there and police people who don't believe what you believe? How about this? Start with you. Start with where you're falling short and be honest with your brothers and sisters and open and transparent with them and figure out how to become the kind of Jesus follower that Jesus intended. Let's work on our own behavior for a little while. For the last 50 years, it literally hasn't worked. We've sent billions of dollars to Washington to move the needle. No, no, no way. It does not work. So let's start with our behavior. Does that make sense? Okay. Can I move on? Do you need me to say it, like, all over again? Okay, cool. We'll just edit that out. Um, there's some uh, – I don't really – it doesn't really fit in a point, but I like the quote. So can I just share something with you guys? Like, uh, so uh, there's this quote by Dr. Henry Cloud, and you, you may have heard of Dr. Henry Cloud. Um, and uh, it, it's this book called uh, How People Grow. And this is what he says. He says, Some people may stop their addictive or compulsive behaviors apart from other people, but if their relational patterns do not change, they will relapse if they are not involved in a group. Now, what do I see here? Um, Just, I want to mention this briefly, like when we are connected to each other, there's a better chance that we're going to get better. And when we are connected to each other, we actually have more hope. And there are people that actually come to this church that are trying to get out of their issues. Not you, just other people that aren't here today. (laughs) They're trying to get out of their issues. And the key to that, the psychological key, the way God designed it, the spiritual thing is, if you want to have hope, you need to be connected to other people, even when they tick you off. And what you will find in this church or any other church you go to, there's a lot of great churches in the city. And if you go to any other of these churches, these tremendous churches, what you'll find is, That people will challenge you on areas and in things that you don't want to be challenged. But the fact is, if you want to break compulsive behaviors, if you want to break addictions, you need to be a part of something like a group. That's why we mentioned the community groups. Okay, that's enough of that little thing that doesn't really fit in the sermon. But does that make sense? Okay, cool. Let's move on to the next thing. Um, So if we've talked about the environment for growth, the context for growth, the focus of growth, uh, we see the, uh, one of the last things is uh, the agents of growth. And uh, Paul has this wonderfully balanced, uh, he says there's, just, there's two parties that are involved in any human growth. And so the first is other people. We see this in verses one and two. Well, read with me. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So there we see there's a mutual responsibility. We help each other. But then the other agent is ourselves. There needs to be some things that happen. There are some things that others can't do for us that we have to do for ourselves. And we see that uh, in verses four and five, it says each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. And so I'm going to talk about these two things. I'm going to take them in turn. And first is what, what we need others to do for us. And the second is what we need to do for ourselves. The first one is our mutual responsibility. Our mutual responsibility now, American individualism teaches us that we don't have mutual responsibility. American individualism teaches that we, it's none of my business what you do with your personal life. American individualism teaches Christians in the church that if you want to get a divorce, hey, that's what you got to do. It's none of my business. If you want to use drugs or abuse alcohol or wreck your, her health. That's none of my concern. If someone in my small group is sleeping around with this person or that person. Or they're gossiping or they're unkind. Hey, the best thing I can do is avoid that person. To not get involved in the situation at all. But the Bible says if you are a Christian, you can't avoid this ministry of restoration. If your brothers and sisters are sinning, what do you do? You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. And the Apostle Paul wisely reminds us that restoring each other is like threading a needle. It's not like chopping down a tree. And I love this statement in verse 1. It says, restore that person gently. Now, if we're going to confront somebody else's sin, we need to do it gently. Jesus uses an illustration in another part of the Bible. uh, When you're correcting someone, it's almost like eye surgery. It ought to be done with great care and gentleness. He tells us that correction is like taking the speck out of somebody else's eye. We don't use a fork. We don't use a claw hammer and just claw somebody's eye out. And some people are, and uh, you, uh, none of these people here in this room or myself, we, we're on the other side of avoidance. You know, some people, they avoid conflict at all costs. There's the other side where they don't avoid it at all. They have no problem, th- they have no problem telling others what they think and what they've done wrong. They say, I'm the kind of person that just tells it how it is. And uh, you know what? Let the chips fall where they may. But I'm co- totally surprised when someone's hurt or offended but what I've said, I'm in shock. Paul says that we restore each other gently. Have you figured out how to do this yet? Have you figured out how to tell the truth in love and do it in a way that's gentle? Every single one of you needs to tell people the truth in difficult situations, but you need to do it in a way that's gentle. But, but it goes on. Um, it says this in, at the end of verse six, uh, six, verse one, it says, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. What's going on here? Not only do we deliver hard messages of truth with gentleness, we don't avoid the issue, but we don't push too hard. We watch ourselves so that we're not also tempted. How might we be tempted in this process of restoring another person? Well, we might be tempted to think that we're more superior than them. That we're better than them. We might be uh, tempted to stand above them and judge them and say, hey, you know. And we don't, as Christians, uh, you know, we don't like go, oh, my goodness. Uh, And you don't actually tell them when you judge. But the judgmentalness of a Christian is quiet. It's usually on the interior of the life. It's like, huh, well, I guess I don't do that. So I'm okay. And so on. And so to think that we were made Differently than these other human beings that we're judging is just way off The truth is that all of us have issues All of us are susceptible to getting involved in things that are not good for us And all of us the potential is there for us to get caught up in the exact same thing that we are judging others on And that we are and we don't know we don't know what the childhood of that person was like. We don't know the wounds they've experienced. We don't understand if, they, if we were in the same situation, we had the same disappointments as them, The same, if we were faced with the same obstacles. Who knows what we would be like? Who knows if we would be that much better if we walked a mile in their shoes? The same as them. Paul says, watch yourself and restore gently. Don't allow yourself to become a self-absorbed or a self-superior judge. It just doesn't work. Now, there's another aspect to this mutual responsibility that goes beyond uh, each other, and that's the responsibility that we have to bear each other's burdens. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens. Now, when I'm on a plane uh, uh, sitting in coach uh, middle seat in the back, and I see a person struggling to get their um, their like heavy luggage because they pack a bunch of stuff up in the upper head. And bin. I don't just sit there like, uh, you know, I try to help them get it up unless I'm in the far, uh, at, you know, on the near the window and then I can't get to them. But I help them with their load. I jump up and I help. Now, this ministry of burden bearing, of relieving someone else's load that they are carrying it is one of the most searching tests it's one of the clearest ways a church can tell if they are full of the love of jesus it's the clearest way do people in the church really bear one another's burdens and the way we get at this is we individualize it what do you actually do what you can do to bear each other's burdens the way we know We're living out the love that Christ has given us is that we bear each other's burdens. And the problem with do-it-yourself, being alone, spirituality, do-it-yourself, spiritual but not religious mentality, is that you have to do everything alone. You have to do everything apart from a religious community. And it works great unless you run into any human problems in your life. If you, what you need in do it yourself spirituality is a life that is full of rainbows and unicorns and snow cones because if you have any problems, you have nobody that can come to you and help you bear your burdens. So what happens when the world is not that it all sh- it should be? What happens when you are facing a sickness? What happens when you are going through financial trouble? What happens when life is handing you the worst lemons and you cannot make lemonade? God has designed the Christian community for you to be able to grow spiritually through that experience and to be able to be connected to one another and to bear each other's burdens, to help each other through the difficult times. And I got to tell you, this church is maybe 39 weeks, 40 weeks old Uh, we are a baby, but already, already, and I get all the stories. You don't get all the stories. People come tell me things all the time. And I just go, Hmm, that's interesting. I write it down. Um, that's, this is me typing. Uh, so, uh, so I hear stories about you bearing each other's burdens, taking care of each other beyond what you could normally do. And the reason you're able to do that is because the Spirit of God has come on you and empowered you to do something and given you love for individuals in this room that you didn't have before. And so I just want to encourage you. with that. So that's what happens. We have the community of God around us that can help us. Uh, how much do we need each other? And the answer is a lot. We actually need each other. So the second thing here, Paul says, uh, there's some things that we need each other to bear each other's burdens, but there's some things that nobody can do for us that we have to carry ourselves. So that leads us to the last point says our personal responsibilities and look at inverse, uh, the end of verse five, it says for each one should carry their own load. Now, I see no contradiction in verse two, where it says bear one another's burdens. And then in verse five, it says that we each one should carry his own load. There's no contradiction here because the original uh, script, it was written in Greek. And the word uh, uh, for burden in verse two is actually different than the word load in verse five. Uh, you can find it on the screen. Burden is baros, which means heavy weight or heavy load, and that is, generally means it's a burden that's too heavy to carry for one person. And the Greek word for load is phorion. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to keep moving. I'm, I'm getting feedback from a Greek person um, in the audience. Uh, so this is this is a common word that is used for backpack or knapsack. Which is uh, designed to be like an individual load. And so what we see here is this: is we bear one another's burdens that are too heavy for one person to carry or one person to bear alone, but there's a weight, there's something that is impossible for other people to carry, that we need to carry on our own, that we cannot share with each other. There's a pack that is light enough for each individual to bear, and I'll tell you what it is. This is what he's getting at. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. And on that day, each person, each individual will need to bear their own weight. And on the day of judgment, you cannot borrow God's forgiveness for me and I cannot borrow God's forgiveness for you. It will not happen. Each of us needs to carry the weight of our own load. Each of us needs to stand before God and stand on our own by ourselves. Now, The wonderful good news is that in Christianity is this, is that God sent Jesus into the world to be the ultimate bearer of that load. And that's what he says. And look in verse two, it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ is that this is what we see when we care when uh, we do help people carry a load that's too heavy for them. We are also we see we are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, who is the ultimate burden bearer. Bear. But what burden did Jesus or did God send his son Jesus to bear in this world? Well, we read about it. We read about it in uh, Isaiah 53. It says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all and on the judgment day and this isn't uh necessarily a judgment day of heaven and hell this is just there will be a judgment day there will be two kinds of people there will be people who appear before god who are crushed by the weight of their sin and there are those who will appear before god standing tall because they have placed their burden the burden that they were supposed to carry upon Jesus, the divine burden bearer. And Jesus invites all of us to come to him and to give him all of our burdens. And have you done that? Have you done that, my friend? There is a weight. There is a responsibility that you have that your neighbor next to you cannot bear. You must bear that on your own. And Jesus says, even that can be held up by me. Even that Can be taken away from me. Even the issues and the mistakes you've made. That you are ashamed of. No more. I can erase those from you. Have you welcomed Jesus into your life. To carry the burden of sin. That you cannot carry yourself. Have you done that? And if you have. Good. If you haven't. Jesus invites you to no longer have to carry that load. That you feel in your life. You don't have to carry it anymore. So in conclusion, what do we need? We need a healthy community. I need a healthy community. You need a healthy community to show up here just on Sunday on a holiday weekend is very brave of you, but it's not enough. It's not enough. You need people in your life. who are going to tell you the truth. And when they tell you the truth, you get better. And what happens and how did you get better? Because they are listening to the Holy Spirit and you're listening to the Holy Spirit. And when you exchange that information, the Spirit of God works in us in a way that we couldn't figure out on our own. For some reason, God designed it this way for you to be in community with others. This is not just a club where we get to connect with other people. It is a place that can actually help you to grow. And when you reach your fullest potential, wow, your neighbor's. Your friends, the people that you work with, they will be touched by you and how God is working through you. And you can look back and say with total humility, you know what, it was all God and it was all my community that helped me to do this. You are able, you have something, you have access at your fingertips to, uh, to grow as a person, and that is a community of faith. So if you want to walk with Jesus, you and I both need a healthy community. Why don't we all stand?